Well, good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. Grace and peace in the name of Christ our Lord. It is Jesus who calls us to this time and place of worship. It is a great joy to gather with you to share in this time of worship, and we are grateful for the presence of each of you as we share in worship this morning, especially grateful for those who may be visiting you. Bless us, our, our guests, and we pray this is a blessed time for us all as we gather for worship. Just a reminder, we find some registration pads to our right or left because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship at First Church this morning. And as we gather, I hope we are attentive to various ministry opportunities before us, especially in this season of Lent. Each Wednesday during the season of Lent, we gather here at noon for a midweek Lenten service. Uh, we hear the word proclaimed, we share in song, we gather at the Lord's table as well. Cameron Wilds of Smith Memorial Church in Collinsville will be leading us in worship this coming Wednesday. Uh, these are, are wonderful experiences of getting together and worshiping, and I hope to see you Wednesday at noon. Also on Wednesdays at 5.30, there's a Lenten study on the Gospel of John, John the Gospel of Light and Life. Uh, we continue with that, and if you would like to be a part of that, you're certainly welcome to gather in the fellowship hall at 5.30 for that Lenten study. And do be attentive to other opportunities as you find them in your bulletin. And also tomorrow, I understand it is spring break, but still the older children of the Cantabile Choir will rehearse here at, from 3.30 until 5.00 in the choir room. Again, the older children, Cantabile Choir, from 3.30 to 5. Tomorrow, uh, in the choir room, no bus pickup, no snacks, uh, just singing. So, and for that, we are grateful. Uh, as we gather in this season of Lent, we share scripture from Luke, the 13th chapter, uh, dealing of, of the suffering and loss of certain folks and the question as to God's presence in the midst of that grief and loss. So the question before us, is God fair? I invite us now to prepare to worship God together.
Invite us to stand as we share our call to worship. Let us worship God, who has done great things. We rejoice in our God, who made a way through the desert of this world. Let us worship God, who has caused streams of mercy to flow in the wasteland. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. We praise God for the grace that has saved us. Hallelujah. We invite us to go to God as we pray. Our opening prayer is before us. Let us pray. God of the covenant and the glory of the cross, your son embraced the power of death and broke its hold over your people. In this time of repentance, draw all people to yourself that we who confess Jesus as Lord may put aside the deeds of death and accept the life of your kingdom. Amen. The Lenten wreath is before us. I'll invite the Wilson family, Casey and Kelly, and Gavin and Addison to come forward to lead us in the extinguishing of three candles today.
And again, a reminder, we share in the sung response of Ah, Holy Jesus, the third verse. And let me get your... On this third Sunday of Lent, we remember that no matter how faithful we may be, we still know those times when we suffer. During these times, we may wonder why we suffer. We may also wonder where God is to be found during these times of suffering. This journey to the cross through this season of Lent assures us, uh, assures us God is with us in those times we suffer. Jesus knows our temptation. Jesus knows our loneliness. Jesus knows our questions. Jesus knows our hurt. Nothing separates us from Jesus or from his love for us. He is with us always. He is with us now. Let us pray. Remind us, Lord, that you are no stranger to suffering because you came to us in the flesh. You know life completely as we know it, even our pain and suffering. Scripture tells us you were made like us in every respect. We thank you for assuring us we are never alone, that you are with us always and through all things. Amen. We prepare for the Old Testament lesson from the prophet Isaiah, the 55th chapter, verses 1 through 9. First we pray. Lord, we come to this place of worship this morning, hungry and desirous of a word from you. You give to us our daily bread, you give to us your daily word, and we are satisfied and grateful. Amen. Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Hearken diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in fatness. Incline your ear, and come to me, hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall not call nations that you know not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you. 
because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of our Lord.
to choir, Pam and Beth, and also thankful to Becky Smith, who is playing this morning. Thank you. Welcome back, Becky. I'll invite our children to come forward as we share in our children's time. Good morning, children. I'm glad you're here. So this, this coming week is different, isn't it? What's, what's going on this week for you? Spring break. So that means you don't go to school all this week, right? So when do you go back to school? Next Monday, a week from tomorrow. Wow. So you get a whole week off. Does, does that mean you might forget some things that you've learned? We hope not, right? We hope that when you go back to school a week from now, you'll remember everything that you've been taught. Well, I, I hope so. I hope so. You know, what, as, as I think of spring break and as I think of trying to remember everything we've been taught, um, I find myself remembering Jesus. Because Jesus was called you know, many names. He was called Lord. He was called Savior. He was called Son of David. He was called Son of Abraham. Jesus was also called Teacher. Did you know that? One of the popular names for Jesus was teacher because he, he taught many things. And, and one of the reasons that we gather here for worship is, is so we don't forget what Jesus has taught us. It's a way of remembering and, and practicing the things that Jesus taught us. In fact, uh, one of the times that the disciples went to Jesus and they had a question about prayer. Weren't all sure about prayer or what to say or, or how to say it. So they went to Jesus and said, teach us to pray. And because they asked Jesus that question, it's, it's, we, we share in what's called the Lord's Prayer. Because when they said, teach us to pray, Jesus taught them to pray by saying that prayer we, we say practically every time we gather here for worship, the Lord's Prayer. So as, as, as you're out of school this week, I, I hope you have a wonderful week and enjoy it and a lot of fun. And I know you won't forget things when you go back to school. And I'm grateful that you're here, too, to learn more about Jesus and to put into practice those things that he teaches us because he is the greatest teacher. So I'm going to, to ask us to pray, and if you will, just repeat after me. We thank you, Jesus, for all you teach us. Help us learn and grow closer to you. Bless us all as your children. And may we know you are with us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
We share the gospel lesson from Luke, the 13th chapter, verses uh, 1 through 5. I'm going to share verses 1 through 5 from Luke 13. Let us hear the word of God. But there were some present at that very time who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered thus? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I don't know how early it is that our children learn to say, that's not fair. But based on my experience, it's pretty early. But it's not fair, shouted in exasperation as the disgruntled child compares her Christmas stash to Big Brother's. That's not fair, he says in response to being sent to bed early. That's not fair, she says in response to having her favorite electronic device taken away. Does any of this sound familiar? Well, while it's easy for us adults to point our fingers at the younger ones among us, chuckling over their protestations as to what is fair and what is not fair, in all fairness, we adults, no less than our children, are just as concerned with fairness. In this season in particular, we want to be sure to pay our fair share and not more of taxes. We want to be fairly compensated. We want the rules of society to apply fairly to everyone, whether it's in regard to access to voting or being admitted to college? It just came to mind. <laughs> the Interfaith Council of Martinsville Henry County meets at First Baptist Church this afternoon. The topic before this interfaith group is that of gender equality, gender fairness. So apparently this concern regarding fairness is a concern held not just by our children, it appears all generations carry this innate desire that all human affairs be carried out in what we consider to be a fair manner. And if we feel any offense committed against us, we, just like we did when we were children, can cry as well as anyone at any age, but that's not fair. This cry to be treated fairly well, it's been a part of our faith story from the earliest days. Cain and Abel are brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. The time comes for each of these brothers to offer the fruits of their labors to the Lord. Abel makes his offering to the Lord. The Lord accepts the offering of Abel. Cain makes his offering to the Lord the offering of Cain the Lord does not accept. To say the least here, the Lord on this occasion 
doesn't appear to be fair. While this troubling account of apparent unfairness from God toward one who faithfully made his offering to God is well known, this isn't the only instance in which God appears to behave in a manner that we might consider unfair. A few chapters later in the book of Genesis, there's this intimate conversation between the Lord and Abraham. Remember that God has earlier called Abraham, entered into covenant with him in order to bless all nations of the earth. But this conversation between the Lord and Abraham is not a conversation about blessing. It's a conversation regarding God's intent to destroy the city of Sodom because of the sinfulness of the city. Abraham is troubled at this thought of God destroying everyone within the city of Sodom. Abraham says to the Lord, you, you know there are righteous people in Sodom along with the wicked, even if but a few righteous. So are you going to destroy the righteous who have done nothing wrong along with the wicked? That doesn't seem fair. Moving deeper into our story of faith, we meet King Saul. Saul has been anointed by God to be the first king of the people of Israel. As you may imagine, it's not easy being the king of people who never had a king, but Saul does his best, succeeding at times, failing at times. Then this rival named David shows up. David is gifted, handsome, talented, charismatic. David even slays a giant named Goliath. Soon it appears the favor the Lord once showed to Saul is favor now shown to David. And Saul, in short order, is a broken man. Is that fair? The writing that we know as Psalms voices many times our desire that life be fair. The psalmist, looking upon the way in which his life is unfolding laments to the Lord. How long, O Lord, shall the wicked exult? How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? The fairness of God is not a small matter, according to Scripture, is it? The question, is God fair, is a question never too far away. It's a question before us as we look at this scripture from the Gospel of Luke this morning. The time arrives in Jesus' ministry in which someone tells Jesus of how some residents of nearby Galilee have suffered cruel deaths at the hand of King Herod. Hearing of such tragedy, Jesus adds to this account the remembrance of 18 innocent persons upon whom the Tower of Siloam fell. And we wonder, well, how can that tragedy happen? Why can such things happen? Knowing there may be nothing more troubling in our faith than the suffering of the innocents, and there may be nothing more troubling to us than the apparent random unfairness of God. So troubling is this that we may often feel some need to 
justify the ways of God. So troubling that we need to conjure up some answers so as to comfort us so that we may get a decent night's sleep. Back in 1981, Rabbi Harold Kushner tried to address this troubling matter of the suffering of the innocents with his book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. The writing of the book was a personal issue for Rabbi Kushner, motivated in part by the illness and the death of his young son. In this book, the rabbi, as we would expect, refers to the suffering of the Old Testament figure, Job. We remember Job as a man blessed with wealth and family, but as a man who lost practically everything in a wager between God and Satan. Many persons of various faiths found the rabbi's book to be helpful, though there were some who would take issue with certain of Kushner's conclusions. Regardless, the fact that this writing gained great fame and sold millions of copies speaks to how personal this issue of the suffering of the innocent is to us all. Still, as unbearable as suffering may be, we may be able to endure it if we can be given a reason for this suffering. With our study of the Gospel of John this past Wednesday, we spent time in the ninth chapter of John's Gospel. It's there that this issue of suffering is addressed, that an answer for the misfortune of a certain man is requested. The man in question, blind from birth. Passing by this man, Jesus' disciples believe his blindness is due either to the sinful behavior of his parents or to his own evil. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he's born blind? It's not a, not a question we hear easily. It's a question that we may not find very comforting as to why those among us suffer, as to why a certain person may be born blind. Still, we may be familiar with wanting to find some reason, someone to blame, wanting to name some cause for the misfortune of our neighbors. The man is born blind. Certainly there's a reason for that. Certainly there's someone to blame. His blindness doesn't happen without cause, does it? The responsibility for his blindness is to be found at the feet of someone, whether it's the man born blind or his parents. There's some reason. We just need to determine that the rationale for this misfortune. And having done this, we can then move on satisfied. So the blame falls on the shoulders of one party or another, the young man himself or his parents. The issue of suffering, of misfortune, is an issue that can't be left unresolved. And truth be told, it's been my experience, even within the church, over many years, that we may prefer a wrong answer as opposed to no answer. To say we don't know why this man was born blind, to say we don't know why these innocents suffered at the hand of Herod, to say we don't know why these 18 persons died when the Tower of Siloam fell, it's not acceptable. We need an answer, some justification for the ways of God, some explanation as to our suffering. 
I wonder if, if the Apostle Paul ever felt like that. We remember that Paul really lived a very admirable life, a life to be envied. Paul was a man who had accomplished much in his faith, a man of great social standing. Then he met Jesus. Having met Jesus, Paul's now going to spend a great deal of time in prison. He will, according to his correspondence with the church in Corinth, endure remarkable suffering, countless beatings, often near death, beaten with rods, stoned, shipwrecked, sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without, cold, without food and cold and exposure. So I wonder if Paul wondered about the fairness of his suffering. I wonder the same regarding John, the gentleman who shares this glorious revelation given to him by God. There's every reason to believe John was a man of great stature and importance within this community of faith. As we read his revelation, we see this man knows his scripture extremely well, has much to share with his community of faith. But we see he has been removed from his community of faith. John has been set in exile on the island of Patmos. His fate, his future, uncertain. So I wonder if John, in exile, wonders about the fairness of God. Well, regardless of whether or not Paul or John or other persons of faith question the fairness of God, we know we have our questions. Questions I can't help but notice often are, arise when we feel like we're the ones offended and we say that's not fair. But as we wonder about the fairness of God in this season we call Lent, I can't help but believe we come to one conclusion. And that conclusion in this season is God isn't fair. And for this unfairness of God, we may give thanks. Because we see if God is fair, we die for the wrong we have done, not someone else. If God is fair, there's not an innocent man, one who has done no wrong, who dies in our place. If God is fair, then it's we who suffer for our sins, not the Son of God. If God is fair, we're not given the gift of abundant life, the promise of resurrection life. If God is fair, we're punished, not forgiven. If God is fair, we don't receive his grace beyond measure. If God is fair, we don't find a place at his table. We don't share in one faith, one Lord, one baptism. If God's fair, well, it doesn't appear that at least as we measure fairness, that God is fair. And for this holy unfairness, may give thanks. Amen. I invite us to stand and respond to the word by affirming words of scripture from 1 Corinthians and Colossians number 888.
This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, and appeared first to the women, then to Peter and the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God, the firstborn of all creation, firstborn from the dead, in whom all things hold together, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and by the blood of the cross reconciles all things As we stand, I invite us to welcome one another. We pass the peace of Christ. We will worship God now as we receive God's tithes and our offerings. Our ushers will come forward. As they come forward, just a reminder that when the offering is returned, we share in the doxology as it is before us. Blessed be the name. Let us pray. Lord, you give to us abundant life. You give to us the promise of resurrection life. You give to us the assurance we are not alone, that you are with us now and always. You give to us an abundance of gifts. For these gifts, we give you thanks. For the opportunity to worship and serve you, we are grateful and accept these gifts, use them, that many will be blessed for the gospel of Christ. Amen.
invite us to go to God as we pray. We do so by offering the prayers of the people. We remember this is a responsive time of prayer in which I will name various concerns, concluding each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and inviting from you the response to hear our prayer, inviting you to voice any prayer concerns at this time that you may have as well. And then we pray as Christ has taught us our Lord's Prayer. We go to God as we pray. Speak to us, Lord, that we may hear your voice above all others, and instill in us, by your Spirit, that desire to hear you, to follow you, to live according to your will. Assure us that you are with us each day in this Lenten season, revealing in new ways your love for us. Draw us closer to you, O Lord. May we embrace those disciplines that find us in your presence by prayer, by reading of scripture, by fasting, by serving. In all of this, may we know your inspiration. May we know you being with us. And draw us closer again, Lord your loving embrace. Lord, in your mercy, and hear us as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, in your mercy, hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy, Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Dearest Lord, we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Bishop Lewis, Bishop Weaver, Janine Howard, Denise Bates, the Ministry of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, hear our prayers joined with those of your saints. 
those whose presence we know now, their voices joined to ours, praying as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We'll stand as we sing. go forth as a light into this community and beyond, assured that Christ goes with us and that we are now and always in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.